Welcome to Walking Lab's podcast series on walking research creation. This series aims to distill Walking Lab publications and content into audio form. In podcast number five in this series, listeners were introduced to the Queer Walking Tour as a way of doing place-based research. In this podcast, you will learn more about the concept of place, including critical theories of place, more than human theories of geology that unsettle the distinction between living and non-living matter, indigenous knowledges that centre land, and a post-human critique of landscape urbanism. The Walking Lab Queer Walking Tour, Stone Walks on the Bruce Trail, Queering the Trail, will serve as an example. Walking Lab is co-directed by Stephanie Springay and Sarah E. Truman. You can find more information at walkinglab.org. While not necessary, the podcasts are designed to be listened to while going for a walk. For this walk, we suggest a walking or hiking trail. Hi, I'm Rebecca Conroy, artisan researcher, and I'll be your host today. Walking Lab organises international walking events conducts research with diverse including youth in schools and collaborates with artists and scholars to realise site-specific walking research creation events. Walking Lab acknowledges the traditional and unceded territories on which our work takes place. Walking Lab is accountable to Dylan Robinson's insistence that land acknowledgements often operate from a politics of recognition and perpetuates settler colonial logics rather than disrupt them. As will be introduced through the podcast series, Walking Lab asks walkers to consider where they are coming from in relation to Indigenous peoples and territories where they live and work, and to consider why a land acknowledgement is important to them. Place is a fundamental part of walking research. Walking Lab has identified five threads where place is mobilised in walking studies. One, the walking interview... 2. Pedestrianism, 3. Walking tours and ethnographic research, 4. Mapping practices, and 5. Landscape and nature. This podcast takes up the landscape and nature thread. You can read about other threads in the book Walking Methodologies in a More Than Human World, Walking Lab. Conventional usages of the word place mean a specific fixed location, such as the city of Mumbai or the corner of Hayton-Ashbury. Feminist scholars such as Doreen Massey have shifted the ways in which we understand place as something fixed and static to place as a set of relations between humans, non-humans and the environment. Place often appears in walking research in the context of walking in nature. In many instances, nature is often figured as separate to culture, wrapped up in settler colonial nostalgia for an empty wilderness that never existed and caught up in a neoliberal health agenda that is tied to whiteness. Critical disability scholar Alison Kafer argues that nature reserves and hiking trails are shaped around normativity, specifically a compulsory neurotypicality and able-bodiedness. Normative understandings of able-bodiedness suggests that particular bodies are necessary in order to overcome the separation between nature and culture. Kafer's analysis describes not only the ways that disability is understood as out of place in nature, 
but how access is framed as being against environmentalism. For example, she discusses how environmental activists often argue that non-normative bodies and their support systems, such as wheelchairs, are harmful to fragile ecosystems, while paths cut for able bodies seem not to be. In this way, able bodies are seen as natural and disabled bodies are understood as unnatural. Eve Tuck and Marcia McKenzie argue that place-based learning and research is entrenched in settler colonial histories and territorialism and does not sufficiently attend to Indigenous understandings of land. Tuck and McKenzie contend that place privileges settler perspectives that maintain distinctions between nature and culture and where land is merely a backdrop. Moreover, the emplacement of certain bodies often relies on the legal and political replacement of the native by the settler through property rights, forced removals, residential schools, sustained and broken treaties, adoption and resulting apologies. Finally, place in walking studies has rarely taken into account how human bodies and geologic bodies are co-composed. Catherine Yusof asserts that discussions about the Anthropocene, the geological era shaped by human-initiated environmental degradation, marks the human as both affecting geology and affected by it. Yusof's concept of geosociality is the enmeshment of bios and geos, which expands notions of agency, vitality, politics and ethics beyond human and non-human organisms to include non-organic matter. With these critical insights in mind, in the next section of the podcast, we examine a Walking Lab queer walking tour. Stone Walks on the Bruce Trail, Queering the Trail, was a Walking Lab queer walking tour that unfolded along a nine-kilometre section of the Chidoke to Iroquois Heights walking trail in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This trail is part of the 900-kilometre Bruce Trail that follows the edge of the Niagara Escarpment. Walking Lab opened the walk with a pop-up lecture on the history of walking and introduced notable critiques of trail walking that privilege fitness and health. These critiques were touched upon in podcast number four. Further along the trail, in a grassy meadow, Walking Lab spoke about their use of the term queer and its implication for thinking otherwise about walking with practices. As highlighted in the podcast number five, Walking Lab uses the term queer in various senses, including attending to sexuality and gender identity and defamiliarising established assumptions. Margaret Somerville suggests that, in the same way that LGBTQ plus experiences subvert the gender binary that structures heteronormativity, queerness may also destabilise the nature-culture binary that structures humanism. In this way, Walking Lab's Stone Walks on the Bruce Trail, Queering the Trail, queers the nature-culture binary, demanding a different orientation to human and more-than-human entanglements. Catherine Wallace, a geology professor from the University of Toronto, gave a pop-up lecture about the formation of the trail, noting that where participants were walking was once under an ancient tropical sea, closer to the equator. She added that the escarpment has undergone more change in the past 100 years than in the previous 9,000 years because of human activity, such as quarrying and highways. 
Wallace's lecture impressed on the walkers that geology, while typically thought of as fixed and stable, is in fact under constant change. Yusuf contends that we must understand ourselves as geologic subjects, not only in the ways that we have acted on the earth and extracted use value from the land, but that humans are geologically produced. Yusuf evokes the term geosocial to call attention to the ways that the geological and the social are knotted, while also attending to different geologic scales. While the earth has typically been understood as a geologic surface upon which social relations occur, geosociality for Yusuf insists on the imbrication of geological formations and social formations. In other words, both are materialised simultaneously. Both Wallace and Bonnie Freeman, an Indigenous scholar from McMaster University, gave pop-up lectures that spoke about the layers of rock as stories. These stories are told through traces of water ripples, ancient critters and fossils that make up the different sedimentary rocks, and also stories of human and non-humans who have lived with the land. Indigenous scholar Kim Tallbear reminds us that while current scholarship influenced by post-human ideas such as Yusuf's geosociality has asked questions about the agency of inorganic matter, Indigenous peoples have long thought about the vitality and sentience of non-human entities, including stone. She contends that the problem with settler thinking is the way it attaches agency and liveness exclusively to white humans. The consequences of white-centred humanism is that different human and non-human entities are as such considered less than human or inhuman. Freeman's pop-up lecture described her walking journeys with Indigenous youth and place-based knowledge that is land-centred. She noted that place-based knowledge is knowledge that we receive from and with the land, and that this knowledge is also collective and relational. She talked about Indigenous guardianship of land, which comes in the form of interaction with land, not just care and maintenance of land through systems of colonisation and control. Freeman stated that, as we continue to speak and act upon the land, it becomes a reciprocal relationship to us, an active engagement that maintains a balance within all things. Walking, she noted, was an important part of place-based knowledge. We learn as we walk, she said. In a heavily forested section of the Iroquois Heights Trail, Kanika Haka, scholar Caitlin Dubicki, gave a pop-up lecture about a methodology she developed of reading trees. Dubicki follows Anishinaabe scholar Vanessa Watts in arguing that the earth has agency and that human agency is an extension of that agency. Similarly, Dubicki contends that trees don't simply grow out of or on the land. They are land. Walking, then, happens with rather than on land. In the final section of the podcast, the artist collective THB's contributions will be discussed alongside the concept of landscape urbanism. Towards the end of the walk, participants emerge from the forest at the top of the trail on an expanse of land populated by rusty fences, coarse grasses and a soaring electrical pylon. TH&B, a collective of four artists from Hamilton, Ontario, 
named after the former Toronto-Buffalo-Hamilton Railway, had pushed and pulled a heavy blue wooden crate on wheels along the trail with the walkers. Arriving at the clearing, THB opened the crate, tipped it on its side, and proceeded to roll out a very large boulder, announcing the inauguration of the THB Park. On the boulder was a metal plate in the form of the THB insignia. THB talked about how their projects investigate the entanglement of the post industrial with the natural. For instance, how recent scientific research has shown that rocks often contain evidence of industrial waste. Their work ruptures the nature culture binary, entangling together industrial symbols and objects with place. THB's performance throughout the day had occurred along a section of a former electric railway that ran along what was now the Bruce Trail. The railway was blasted out of the escarpment in 1906 before being closed in 1931 and eventually transformed into a hiking and biking trail in 1996. The trail is similar to other urban efforts to re-naturalise de-industrialised space, often referred to as landscape urbanism. Dominant urbanisation ideologies argue that redesigning former rail lines or hydro corridors into green spaces and public parks increases health and social benefits, public art and cultural innovation, and adaptive reuse of space. Despite such rewards, landscape urbanism functions as a normalising process based on racialized, classed, ableist and heteronormative ideologies that co-opt conservation in order to clean up and push out different populations and maintain settler colonial heteronormative elite spaces. Likewise, green restoration movements typically regulate the types of people and behaviours that use the trails and obscure the space's industrial legacy. Engaging with the types of tensions that emerge in landscape urbanism, Randy Kay gave a pop-up lecture on the many uses of the Bruce Trail, including those living on the margins of society who occupy side trails in tents or even small caves, and youth who gather around unauthorised campfires. Kay intersected environmental issues with race and class, asking walkers to consider who is displaced by restoration projects. Kay's talk highlighted the geosocial and political violence of landscape and its complicity with dehumanisation. Thinking place as geosocial and as land demands a consideration of the earth where we walk and public parklands, not as commodities to be owned, used and managed by humans for extractive profit, but rather as relational. While the movement to re-green, rewild or retreat from post-industrial areas can be seen as climate positive, Landscape urbanism and conservation continue to maintain distinctions between life and non-life and are invariably human-centred. Moreover, they continue human mastery and control of nature's wildness and so portray landscapes as inert. Instead of a retreat from former industrialised spaces, Stacey Alimo would insist on an ethics of inhabitation. This inhabitation is not occupation, but rather a form of ethical action that arises from recognising one's material role in a larger, more-than-human network. As Alimo states, being materially situated in place holds in it possibilities that do not neatly replicate or privilege traditional geographic patterns of geometry, progress, cartography and conquest. 
Stonewalks on the Bruce Trail aim to intervene in the ways that place in walking research does not take into consideration geology, Indigenous knowledges of land and critiques of landscape urbanism. Tuck and Mackenzie maintain that place typically describes the surface upon which research happens and where data is collected. Stone walks on the Bruce Trail, Queering the Trail, sought to queer walking with by bringing issues of the geologic and Indigenous knowledges of land to bear on walking research, place and the Bruce Trail, and challenging landscape urbanism's renaturalisation and restoration, which continues to bifurcate nature and culture, human and inhuman, and queering the natural beauty of the trail through artistic interventions as nature-culture happenings. Walking with place insists on a relational, intimate and tangible entanglement with the lithic eco-materiality of which we are all a part. Thank you for listening to Walking Lab's podcast series on walking research creation. Don't forget you can find print publications and references on their website, walkinglab.org. Subscribe to the RSS feed so you can be notified whenever a new podcast drops. Walking Lab is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada.